previously on Through the Cracks. Do you think that Mboisa Makubo is a hero? Yes, I do. Mboisa was just a concerned student to help the dying boy Hector Peterson. It was the saddest picking I've ever done. I knew that it could be forever. We saw Mboisa at the port. He was like a hobo. And when he get to Nigeria, he disappeared. Various accounts of people have seen him in London and like all over the world. I couldn't just spill the beans. I had to keep the secret. Well, all I can say is it remains a mystery. This is Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuyisa Makubu. I'm Mandy Wiener. This is the final episode in a four-part series. And in this episode, we're going to try and sort out the fact from the fiction. We want to try and weigh up the possibilities. Could Victor Vinito be Mbuyisa Makubu? We also want to understand why no one in government and in the ANC will go anywhere near the story. Literally, no one will talk about it. We've been knocking on doors and knocking and knocking. We also want to understand why it's so important that 40 years later, we still need to reflect on the 1976 generation and individuals like Mbuyisa, both in the interests of their families and the entire country. More on that next. It is well, it is well, with my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well, with my soul. On the anniversary of Mbuyisa Makubu's birthday last year, parts of his family gathered together to talk about him, remember him, to sing and to pray. In the Makubu family home in Soweto, white plastic chairs have been arranged as if for a church service. There are photographs tacked to the wall and there's juice and biscuits for guests. But the roof beams are exposed, a rather jarring juxtaposition against the carefully arranged room. Today when I woke up, it wasn't an easy one waking up in this house knowing that aunt is no more here. And on the very same day, in 1958, she gave birth to a son. And he named him Nikita Mbuisa Makubu. Mbali Simalani, Mbuisa's cousin, continues to hold the light for his return. And she remains adamant that Victor Vinito, the man initially believed by Canadian Border Services authorities in 2013 to be in is indeed him. I hear that in all of his diaries, there is a marking in the diaries that says, we shall overcome. And initially... I wanted to start the whole thing with a song. I am saying to my fellow South Africans, to the Makubu family, the great sons of the Makubu clan, the great, great sons. 
overcome. Mbali continues to campaign, to organize protests, and to send queries to government officials, largely because she feels she must do so on behalf of Mbuyisa's late brother, Raul, who died last year. It haunts me because I have a message from Mbuyi, from Raul. <laughs> When he was dying, I said, uh, I must tell Mbui <laughs> that if he doesn't find him, I must tell him that he loves him. And do you believe it's him? Not that I believe, I know for a fact it's him. Is there any doubt in your mind? I mean, is there a possibility that it could not be him? I have no doubts. That is Mbuisa. That is Mbuisa. You can find Shalom and hear it from Shalom as well. Shalom will tell you. Over the past year since DNA results on Victor Vinito and Raul Makubu came back negative, the bitter rift in the Makubu family has grown deeper. Mbuisa's sister Nsiki has now claimed ownership of the family home around the corner from the Hector Peterson Museum. When I first went to see her a year ago, at what was her grandmother's small, dilapidated house a few streets away. And Siki wasn't convinced that Victor Vinito was in Buyisa. So, you know what? I am so confused. I don't know what to think. But I just hope that somewhere on the line is going to be proved to be yes or no. An aunt who lives in Canada even went to see him. She was also undecided. She went to see him. And what did she say? She said to me, she saw him, he was a bit aggressive, he, is not, he doesn't want to speak to people um, most of the time. All he said when my, 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 my aunt went there was that, I never said I'm Buiza. Then I said, I'm not fighting, I just come to talk with you, let's, let's just... And she knew Buiza from when he was young, huh? Yeah. She knew him? Mm. Did she think it was him? What she said to me, she said... Her feeling was that it's not him, but when people get sick for a long time and are also mentally disturbed, you never really know what's what. And she said if she could help it, she would also like me to go and see this guy, just to make sure. We went back and spoke to Nsiki again in April this year, and her approach seems to have softened. To be honest with you, honest to God is... I truly can't say yes or no where I am. Until maybe I could see this guy or look at something that I know that Musa had that was very unique that says maybe it's him. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm so confused now. At some stage I was 100% saying it's not him. You know? But I'm like... This is pretty much how it is if you talk to anyone who knew Mbuyisa or is in some way connected to the family. No one is really sure what to think. His comrade, Miki Tsakai, who was really the last known person to see Mbuyisa alive, reckons there's no way Vinito is his friend. I don't think so. Because of if, if he was Mbuyisa, the sister of Mbuyisa is still alive. I met her even last year. Yeah. I met her even last year, and they should have just, uh, I mean, 
you guys can take me and go and identify. I mean, your brother, you must know him. Mm. So when you when you saw the photo that came out, uh, I, I I denied. I said mm -mm, this is a fake. This is a fake in Boiswa. Unless he wants uh, to be pop popular like 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 Jim. Yeah. I mean, I can go for how many years? I cannot forget my language. Even if you can be an open or what. Film producer Faisal Mamdu, who tracked Mbuyisa's journey in exile, the guy who made the documentary, What Happened to Mbuyisa, is also perplexed. Theoretically, um, you know, there's nothing to say definitely that it's not. You know, it's, uh, it's possible if, if Mbuyisa was... Mbuyisa's mother said in the documentary, one of two things has happened to Mbuyisa. Either he's dead or he's, uh, he's of a mental state which doesn't uh, you know, make, allow him to, to connect with, reconnect with his family. Um, and um, so who knows? You know, um, Umbuisa you know, may have made his way uh, to a place like, uh, like Canada um, and... Uh, maybe have lost sense of his own identity. But he also raises a very good question. If Victor Veneto isn't Mboyisa, but he does claim to be a South African, then who is he? And why isn't he coming home? So I think sort of at a personal level, I think it's a very um, complex... It's something that I think needs to be dealt with sensitively. Uh, as a nation, um, I think we need to, to deal sensitively with, uh, with, with the story. And if this is not Mbuisa, then who is this person? He's a South African. Uh, and it just, who is this person? You know, and why is no one claiming, claiming him? There is one person who is absolutely adamant that Veneto is Mbuisa. And he even believes that the ANC and government is trying to kill him for pushing this issue so hard. Mandan Nyakrela has been floating around the fringes of the story all along. But I finally meet him outside the Hector Peterson Museum in autumn this year. He's sitting right near the stone in the ground, which bears the quote from Mbuyisa's mom. And behind him is that enlarged black and white poster of the famous Sam and Zima photograph. Throughout our conversation, he seems a little edgy, while school children and tourists continue to mill around us. Currently, I describe myself as, as um, the former spokesperson of the Makubu family and a concerned citizen about the issue relating to Mbuisa Makubu. He explains that he became the family spokesperson, well, at least for part of the family, when he started challenging the status quo. I was the Secretary General of the June 16 Youth Foundation, and as we were pursuing through the legacy, the, the preserving and the protection, the promotion of that legacy of June 16, I started asking questions that were very uncomfortable to the senior structure, being the June 16, 1976 senior structure. And I started asking uh, questions such as, um, what happened to Mbuisa Makubu? Um, who, could, who killed Tetsi Mashinini? Where, why and how? Such questions. Manda says that Mbuisa's brother wasn't really keen on opening the Pandora's box of his siblings' whereabouts. When I met Raul Makubu, he was uh, very sceptical um, into resuscitating the issue concerning his brother because he said he was scared of the ANC. The ANC can assassinate him. What made him so scared of the ANC? Why was he terrified? Well, um, 
According to what I learned from the families, that Buisa uh, Makubu and his father were actually ill-treated from exile. And um, there was also suspicion of his father getting assassinated in exile. So uh, Raul was actually scared of that type of the ANC. Together with Raul, and later with Ntiki, he went to see officials about this issue of Mbuyisa. I did not understand why each and every door that we knocked into asking about the Mbuyisa Makubu issue, we just got shouted out all the time. We spoke to the National Secretary General of the ANC, uh, Mr. Gwede Mandashe, who promised that Mbuyisa will be back in no time, and it was a lie. We also spoke to Natim Tetra, who was uh, then the, 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 um, the Minister of Arts and Culture, who also promised that Mbuisa Makubu will be coming back home soon. And we just all we need to do is just stay away from media so that this thing is done quietly and with dignity. In both of those meetings, were you told that this person in Canada was Mbuisa? Of course. I mean, uh, the, 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 the similarities are, 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 you know, are, so, are so on point that you know, you, you can't deny. I mean, Buisa is known by, by his own family. His family is saying it is Buisa Makubu. And how is it that you can then uh, dispute that? Mandela's edgy throughout our conversation. And then I begin to understand why. The only thing I can tell you now is that I was actually attacked by seven armed guys who were intending to assassinate me. Mandela drops a bombshell. He claims the ANC and the government want him dead. In Dobsonville, it was after I had um, done an interview with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which ran in Canada for four days. Um, on the 13th of June, I was then attacked by seven guys who were armed. They were driving um, um, a car that didn't have registration, the brand new Mercedes-Benz. And were you hurt? Yes, I was hurt. Um, I did go to the hospital. I thought I'd broken uh, my arm because I did run away. Uh, they even, you know, tried to, to pull the trigger on me. On how it did not go off, I did not know. But then I screamed, and everyone came out in my community, and then they flew away. Who do you think was after you? Why do you think you were attacked? I didn't know who was after me. I didn't know why I was being attacked. However, someone came in and confirmed it. Someone who was uh, in the room when when uh, the authorization of my assassination was actually committed. So, so who gave the authorization? Who's, who's behind it? Natim Tetum Gwedemantash. And I'm not scared to say it. Yes. Why would they want to have you killed? The issue of Mwisa Makubu does not sit very comfortably with a lot of uh, 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 leaders in this country. Remember that Mwisa Makubu hated the ANC openly in exile. And and he, he he actually defiled the ANC openly in exile. Four times they tried to assassinate Mwisa Makubu after having already assassinated his father, Wantini Makubu. So Mwisa Makubu, when he left the country in 1976, he already knew what had happened to his father. So he went there, uh, uh, rebellious, and against the ANC. His theory, it seems, is that Mbuyisa rejected the ANC while he was in exile. He effectively trashed it. And now the ANC wants to parade him returning as an ANC victory. But he won't have any of it. The gentleman in Canada is Mbuyisa Makubu. And the ANC government is working tirelessly to make sure that he does not come back to the country of his birth, at least while he's still alive. Simply because Mbuisa rejected joining the ANC from Canada to come back as the member aligned politically with the ANC, 
and to let bygones be bygones of uh, exile. So Mbuisa from Canada rejected the ANC. And I must say this, Mbuisa is more scared of the ANC than he is of anyone here in South Africa. There is no doubt in Manda's mind about where the truth lies. The man in Canada is Mbuisa Makobu. I'm not really sure what to make about his claims. They do seem borderline fanciful, but I no longer know what to believe with the story at all. The one part of what he says that does resonate is the bit about the ANC. In the transcript of the December hearing of the Immigration and Refugee Board in Canada, that's the one where Victor Vinito testifies. He clearly states that he fears the ANC and he does not want to return to South Africa because of the ANC and how his parents were killed. And Mandela didn't know about the transcripts or the testimony when I spoke to him. We've been trying to get comments from the ANC for months about this. Ignatius Jacobs, the general manager in Latuli House, was tasked with dealing with this case. We sent him several messages and emails. No interview. We phoned the ANC's national spokesperson, Zizi Kordwa, as well as Keith Koza, and followed up with emails and messages. No interview. So, with all this confusion clouding the issue, I want to unpack what we actually know and separate it from what's just empty hope and lingering speculation. A DNA test was done on Mbuyis' brother, Raul, and Vinito. It came back negative. But it was a paternal test, and it was a long-buried family secret that the two men did not in fact share a father. Madeleine Fullard, the bone digger from the NPA's Missing Persons Task Team, does a lot of these kinds of DNA tests and says paternal tests are the worst. Ideally, the test should have been done with Mbuyis' mother, but she died over a decade ago. Officials could exhume her remains, but only that's not possible. It seems she may have foreseen a family feud and insisted on being cremated. Our sources do tell us that a second DNA test is in the pipeline. Top forensic experts at the police services have taken DNA from Mbuyisa's son, Tato. But while the Canadians do have Victor Vinito's DNA profile on record from the first test, they can't hand it over to South Africa because that would be a violation of his personal rights. Vinito is refusing to cooperate. Fingerprint comparisons using a 40-year-old ID application also came back negative. There are some very blatant discrepancies between what Victor Vinitas says about his life and what is known about Mbuyisa's. Also, Vinitas insists he is not Mbuyisa. So, as a last resort, we asked a facial comparison expert to take a look at all the photos we could find of Mbuyisa, which amounted to just four, and the two photos we have of Victor Vinitas. So I specialize in facial identification, so that's purely um, studying the head and neck and identifying means that help with forensic techniques to improve methods of scientific standards that are used within identification, whether it be for forensic or even archaeological purposes. That's Dr. Tobias Holton. He recently arrived from the UK and is working at WITS. His office is in the basement of the medical building in Parktown. There are African masks and pictures of faces on the walls. It's all pretty cool, but kind of geeky at the same time. So first, to be clear, a disclaimer. As with anything with facial comparison of photographs, particularly old photographs, 
you know, you're going to have issues with time difference, sort of age difference between the subject image we have of Victor Veneto with the target image of what we know as Mbaisa Makubu. Um, we also have variation as far as lighting, brightness and contrast of images, which can create some visual distortions, not in the morphology, but in the amount of the face that's visible. Um, also have issues like perspective. You'll also have issues with low resolution. Um, I mean, the only high resolution image we've really got is the uh, frontal image of Victor Veneto. So, you know, this, these are sort of subtle problems that we have to consider with all facial comparisons. And there's obviously issues with the likes of doppelgangers as well, um, where you've got facial doubles, where you can find there's someone that looks almost identical to yourself, so much so that you'll be even tricked into thinking that's an image of you. So a facial comparison isn't always entire, well, it isn't foolproof in all its entirety. It's really just a form of intelligence. Dr. Holton put together this entire report on the comparisons between the photos using internationally accepted standards. And in it, he lists the similarities and the differences. He looked at the hairline. This widow's peak is an interesting feature. That the brow. It's got this prominent brow ridge. The nose. It's got a relatively wide nose. The nostrils. It's a bit hard to conclude nostril shape. The bridge. His nasal bridge seems to look a little bit narrower. You get the picture. He also used another method looking at the proportions of the features on the face. So this is basically taking all the images that you supplied and scaling them in order to best fit each other and rotating them in order to best align with features. And you could see actually all the markings are generally consistent with each other. So eyes, nose, mouth. So that's the distance chin. between... Each of the yes, patients. the general proportions. And the red line goes yeah, pretty yeah, much through Yeah, and so that's horizontal and this is the vertical. If you really want to get into all the details, there's a full video report on our website. But the crux of it is this. So I've just sort of stated in the conclusions just a bit of a disclaimer with the issues that come with facial comparison. As, as all scientists <laughs> yes, do. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say that the current evidence that we have, um, it's not enough to confirm identity, but that's the case with any kind of facial comparison. But there's nothing that draws him out. So I'd say it lends moderate support that it could possibly be him. In short, there are a lot of similarities and nothing big enough to rule out the possibility that it is the same man. Behind the scenes is all very confusing, to be honest. This whole debacle was a real embarrassment for government. And now, as I understand it, some people are still pushing to have Victor Veneto returned during this 40th anniversary year, so it can be hailed as a great victory. But others don't want to touch it. And sources say they just want it all to go away. It's like a hornet's nest that has been poked. Officially, this is what government is saying. It's very uncomfortable. The first batch of interview requests I sent out were in July 2015, a year ago. Former Arts and Culture Minister Paul Mashatile's people at his Gauteng ANC office asked for questions to be sent through, but then dodged an interview repeatedly. Former Home Affairs Minister Naledi Pandor's spokesperson referred queries to Arts and Culture. 
The current Home Affairs spokesperson didn't acknowledge or return emails, which is par for the course for him and his office. The Department of Arts and Culture, who is really spearheading this case, initially jumped at the opportunity for an interview and responded with a glowing email about our work. But then, as reality sank in, the commerce people just never got back to us. We tried to speak to Minister Natim Tetwa on his cell phone. He never answered. We did get hold of Tulani Makwena, the former Consul General in Toronto, and one of the only South Africans to have met Victor Benito. And um, I, I'm aware that you were one of the few people who got to meet the man in Canada known as Victor Vinatow. No, I don't know what you're talking about, ma'am. Do you want to call the Department of Home Affairs? Um, I do believe, or were you not uh, a Consul General in Canada a couple of years uh, ago? Yeah, but I, 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 would, I would like not to have a discussion around any of that. There are, there are protocols that need to be observed. I, I'd rather, ma'am. The only person in authority who would talk was High Commissioner Member T.C. Mdadlana. Last he had heard, government was sending a team to Canada that just never materialised. At the moment, no. There is no other attempt except a call that I received, which I would um, maybe request you to follow with uh, Minister Nati Ntetwa that they will be sending a team here to follow up on this matter. I don't know what happened to that team. I don't know what happened to that process. So now he's sitting in Ottawa waiting for summer to arrive and for his fellow South Africans. Well, we're waiting patiently now to hear what the next step is going to be. But it does make sense to me as to why Canadians have not communicated with us about the, um, the interview in January. Quite clearly, they did not pick up anything that could trigger them to summon me, if you like, to their offices. When we set out to tell the story of Mbuyisa Makubu, We wanted to personalise the memory of June 16. Each year the anniversary rolls around and the narrative is retold, but it's always recounted in the same way. This 40th anniversary, we wanted to contribute to the legacy of one individual whose life was irrevocably changed on that day. A single act of bravery made a young man an accidental hero. A hero who vanished forever with a story that deserves to be told. Filmmaker Faisal Mamdu sums up our intentions perfectly. This is a human story, affected a human life and and, and a family. And in the way we've reflected on June 16th, for example, for a long time, um, we've tended to think of those young people as the shock troops of the revolution. Um, And and in doing that, I think we've lost... And when you repeat that story and, and, and you, you cast it in, in certain terms, I think we tend to lose the, 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 the human significance and the personal significance um, and tragedy. Um, uh, it was to, who was this person? You know, to get to, to, to the human side of things. Who was this, this, this huge figure in, in, in terms of the image, but who we didn't really know? And also, over four decades... 
How today's generation relates to the image captured in 1976 has also changed. You know, for a long time, sharp full June 16th, they kind of represented our, you know, uh, this dichotomy in terms of where we are now in terms of post-apartheid society and what came through. But post-apartheid, we've had Marikana, we've had Tatani, who was shot, killed by the police. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the image and, and how we relate to the image also changes, you know, with, with this new, in this new, in this new situation. And with this 40th anniversary of June 16th, for example, I think there's a real challenge there. Can it be commemorated in the same way as we have in the past, given the fact that we've had Marikana? For March leader Seth Mazubuko, the wounds of 1976 are yet to heal. And he urges today's generation of youth to learn from those that have gone before them. This country is hurt. We are dealing with people who are hurt, for goodness sake. I don't know why I can't see this. Some of the violence that we see in our townships, some of the violence that we see in our families, some of the violence that we see raping and doing all those things are just but this that we are not talking to each other. We still owe each other peace and reconciliation. I'm challenging. I'm challenging this country now and saying, please call a Cordessa of the heart and the head. Let's talk about these things. Someone needs to say I'm sorry to another black person and say I'm sorry. Someone needs to explain where's my son, where's my daughter. Some, some explanation is still needed. How did you feel safe to be tortured? Your balls being handled bricks by, 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 how do you feel now? How has that affected you? Someone needs to speak to Smongile and Smongile Mtembo and say, Smongile, how do you feel when your nipples were pulled with um, uh, pliers? We still need that. And someone needs to explain how do I feel when I had my comrades who were killed by one of their own? Someone, the son of Buisa Makuru, needs to know what happened to the father or what's happening to the father. Behind the scenes, conversations about Mbuyisa are still happening. Now, I'm not going to give more details. So I'm saying... Do you believe that? Strongly, sir. Um, someone sends me pictures. Pictures. There's a conversation going on about him. Recently. There's a conversation that is going on quietly. And I'm involved in that conversation. Now, now as I speak to you, for Mbuyisa's family, they've learned to live with the pain of not knowing about what happened to him and to his father. So I would also like to know, it's somebody who would whisper in my ear where my father is so I can go and do the traditional ritual of fetching my father's spirit and bring him back home. All they want now is answers. What I want to say is that if somebody out there knows what happened to my brother, today there's technology, you know, there's 
stuff that you can do to stay anonymous because the feeling I had 10 years ago was that people knew something about him but they were scared for their lives which means they know something that they're not supposed to tell. My plea to them is please we don't want to know who probably not why but where what and where what happened and where can you find him send something get our numbers one way or the other send an sms you know um send a letter or something just somebody please somewhere if it's too much that you think you're going to risk your life it's okay i wouldn't expect anybody to do that but if there's a way that somebody can actually even put something underneath the door at night when you're asleep please it's been so long You have been listening to Through the Cracks, the untold story of Mbuyisa Makubu. I am Mandy Weiner, and this was an Eyewitness News production. Research by Zianda Ngobo and Krista Abris. Sound production by Peter Teron. To see supporting documents, maps, timelines, archive footage, and video interviews, visit www.ewn.co.za.